Hey everyone, I'm Mark Robison. I'm a candidate for the North Carolina State Senate representing Charlotte's District 39. I'm also your host for the Elephant in the Room podcast where we tackle issues that a lot of folks are thinking about and not enough people are talking about. And today we are going to talk about education. And anybody that's running for the state legislature that does not know or does not make education their top priority clearly doesn't understand how our state works. Of a $27 billion state budget last year, 60% of that was spent on education. And guys, the vast majority of that is on K through 12 public schools. Guess what? Mecklenburg County and our CMS system are by far the largest system in the state. And so a candidate for the legislature in Mecklenburg County especially has this at the top of his or her mind at all times. Now, there's something that has brought education to the forefront of the national conversation in the last two years that makes it an even bigger priority going forward. Um, First was the closing of schools for the pandemic that sent children home to, quote unquote, learn virtually. Unfortunately, when all of our neighboring counties went back to in-person learning, CMS stayed virtual. And boy, does it show. Second, because children were at home on Zoom, parents began to see what and how their children were being taught. Now, my guest today has been serving the parents and the students of Mecklenburg County since 2017. He's representing his district in Southern and Southwestern Mecklenburg County on the school board. His name is Sean Strain, and he brings practical business knowledge to our school board. And unfortunately, uh, he uh, has been a bit of a minority on the school board in what I like to think of a as a voice crying out in the wilderness for practical solutions to our education problems. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, Mark, thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, the state's largest budget budget item, our county's largest budget item, uh, and the uh, item which drives faces or or the futures for the youth in our community. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's been, I guess, public education, really education in general. It's been quite the hot topic across the nation over the last couple of years because of what I just mentioned, Um, from prioritizing teachers over students to a debate that's regarding education versus, yes, indoctrination. These are not just hot button culture war issues and not just national storylines, as we've seen them boil over locally as recently as last week. Um, What is your perspective, Sean, on the direction and the focus of public education nationally? Yeah, Mark, that's an interesting question. We, you know, having having been through the pandemic, um, so many folks refer to the impact that the pandemic has had on academics, on the education of our youth. Um, At the end of the day, the pandemic impacted us all in so many ways. Um, but w- what I hear is people using that as a crutch rather than taking adult responsibility for the adult decisions that oh, were right. made during the pandemic. And, and so if I look at that, you know, we, we have six districts uh, here in Mecklenburg County. CMS has six districts and then three at large members. And so if I look at the the four incumbents who are are running for re-election for those six seats, 
you know, I, I, I look, one of them has actually identified culture wars as one of her top priorities. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, and culture wars, not in a sense of uh, parental rights and, and, and fighting for um, kids, but she doesn't include uh, student and school performance. And, and that's our job, right? That's, that's why we constituted. That's why the General Assembly created local educational agencies, 115 of them across the state. And if I look across the nation, some of those public school systems and districts focused on students and student success and continued to drive their core mission throughout the pandemic. And some didn't. Some states did, some didn't. Um, this state sort of uh, dipped a toe into into both. They, they, you know, the governor sort of sort of straddled, saying, "Hey, we really need to have kids in school," um, and, and recognizing there was a pandemic going on. Uh, our, our school system elected, uh, for for the most part, not to educate kids. Um, very admittedly, the best way we know how. And so, you know, whether this is the hot topic of the day around the content, uh, which uh, came up again last week uh, locally here, as we had a, a surrogate of, a, of the District 4 board member crashing a parent meeting that we're talking yeah. about, right. um, you know, student outcomes and, and school performance. Uh, or, or even a recent board meeting where the public comments were, you know, parents fighting for age-appropriate content and another uh, community member standing up saying, no, no we, we should absolutely have all this sexualized content uh, in there and defending these positions. Wow. Yeah. You know, but once again, all while student and school performance drops further. And, and what we found is these decisions that have been made both at national, state, and local level um, over the last couple of years have proven to be some of the most inequitable decisions and actions taken. And we see that with the most disproportionate impact uh, as our schools and our, and our student um, performance suffers. You know, that really leads me into the next question, which is kind of a, it's an interesting um conundrum that we're in, you know, CMS enrollment has dropped fairly substantially uh, from its high watermark just a few years ago. And, and that's despite the population of Mecklenburg County continuing to explode. Um, what do you, to what do you attribute this and how concerned is the board about this phenomenon? And I guess as another question is, is market share considered given the opportunity of choice, the state is provided through charters and vouchers uh, a lot of support for homeschooling. Does CMS feel the need to compete for students and funding? Mark, it's an interesting question because there is almost no discussion at the board level in terms of uh, enrollment numbers, except for the linkage to our funding. Um, and so wow. when you when you look at that, um, you know, <clears throat> arguably market share is is the best measure. Uh, you know, I'm a father first and foremost, and as fathers and mothers, uh, parents and guardians, we all have decisions to make about the best educational choices uh, for our kids. And so when I hear, once again, this District 4 board member repeatedly say, 
These are our kids and our money. They're not our kids. They're not our, it's not our money. That's right? astonishing to hear, Sean. And, 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 and that view that, that there's some sort of possession by the government of the youth of our community, that's Unreal. just not the case, right? They belong to, to the parents. And if we want the children in our school system, if we want the funding to flow to our school system, then we need to provide the best product, the best service. Um, one that meets the uh, the needs of those individual students, and and in business we, we would measure that as market share. And in 2018, we did have that as a uh, as a metric we were tracking, uh, but that was quickly shelved, and uh, nobody talks about it. You know, and and again, you know, if you look at it from a funding perspective, the state funds per pupil based on. Right. You know, average daily uh, attendance, and so when we get into those um, enrollment numbers on the twentieth day, that actually drives much of the state funding. The county funds differently. The county writes us a check, and so not only has county funding gone up very substantially over the last five years, but with the enrollment drop, the per pupil funding has increased well over thirty percent from the county. And so as as we continue to um, lose folks to choice, then that, that county funding per pupil goes up substantially, which has prompted, of course, the county to say, wait a minute, <laughs> we're funding you at a tremendous level here. What kind of results are you getting? And, and we know those results have been falling. Sean, you, you mentioned you're a father first and foremost. I am as well. Two kids in CMS schools. And what you just said, I mean, that sense of entitlement by that school board member infuriates me. And it's and, and that is just one of many things I think that infuriates a lot of parents. And that sense of entitlement has to be eliminated. Uh, that's all I can think of. And, and, and now let's move to that state level uh, that we talked about. Obviously, I'm running for the North Carolina State Senate. Um, and this kind of uh, it, it talks about the state part, you know, the, the North Carolina House Select Committee on an Education System for North Carolina's Future met on Monday evening. They came here to Mecklenburg County to Harding High School, and that was the latest stop in a statewide tour to hear the voice of North Carolina constituents on the future of K-12, thankfully. Uh, one of the most interesting topics seems to be the new system of licensure and compensation. That's North Carolina's pathways to excellence for teaching professionals. Sean, what are your thoughts on the general direction this discussion has taken, um, the comparisons to public and private compensation plans, and whether this will incent and reward both a teacher pipeline and teaching excellence in the state? And I know that currently CMS is short couple quite a few hundred teachers i believe we sure are and it's not just teachers it's it's staff in general so our, our teachers and, and our school-based staff uh, make up just over half of the of the cms team um, we have a significant operations department as well and and they're certainly not immune <clears throat> to the challenges uh, of staffing as well but getting back to your question about the the state i, I think there's two real um areas that the state is exploring here. One is that it, the, the K-12 education 
for a couple of decades kind of swung toward a, a university pipeline that, um, you know, everybody needs to go to university. So we've right. got to prepare everybody for university. Right. I, I think that was fundamentally flawed. If we look at the Agreed. entire uh, society and workforce, there are many positions. I think about my own business and technology background. You know, writing code doesn't doesn't require a um, a university degree. You know, some right. of our software developers have just learned to develop software and develop develop the the certifications and the knowledge around it. And so, it's not just about universities; it's about trades, skills, yes. certifications, etc. And I know that they are. Uh, the state is working toward looking at how we go about making sure that that focus, that balance is there, right? right. The second that you touched on is around um, the potential for merit-based pay. And so the the current model is a step-based pay, a 10-year-based pay model, which, you know, we've certainly seen work very well in um up or out type environments right. where uh, you know each each year you you're you've got increased pay depending upon how that step model is implemented and so when you when you're able to go into um an environment where you know tenure equals value if you don't continue to increase value and capability and competency then you leave, similar to the military model, right? Right. The U.S. Sure. military works like this. It's an up, it, it's a traditional up or out. Um, you stay in pay grade until such time as you make the next pay grade, or you're no longer with the U.S. military, right? right. That's different than our model, and so um, <clears throat> you know, we, we see experience as tremendously valuable. But the extent to which we can measure that demonstrated skill, capability, and value, and the results that are year on year. Um, you know, if we can build a model that is merit-based pay and such that people who uh, can accelerate that can grow very quickly and make even more money by uh, their progression in terms of delivery of value based on their demonstrated skills, capabilities, and results, um, or as people don't, then they're able to stay at that position and continue to deliver value, but we can actually measure that. And, and I think that's what the state is working on right now. And the select committee that you mentioned um, is trying to work through that with DPI and the state board in terms of what that model like might look like. And I, and I think it would be welcome um, because you've got then uh, an opportunity for folks to make more money faster based on their skills, capabilities, competencies, and delivered value and results, um, or get to a place where they're, they're comfortable, they've got a good work-life balance, they're continuing to deliver, but but not progressing, and, and they understand that that's some choices that they've made or, or the ability they've chosen. You keep mentioning measure, measurement, uh, being able to track how well we're doing. And I uh, I can't imagine a more important time for that to be implemented in our system. 
Sean, the North Carolina Constitution states the following. The people have a right to the privilege of education, and it is the duty of the state to guard and maintain that right. Now, the state Supreme Court, through its rulings, they've expanded the word education to mean a sound, basic education. Now, the latest CMS results, and this is horrifying, have shown 37D and 25F rated schools. Only 12 are A rated schools. Speaking of measurement, how do these ratings reflect the delivery of the constitutional mandate or not? And how has this trended over time? Yeah, so um, so those school performance grades are, are interesting. It, it is probably the best currently used measure <clears throat> of um, how we are providing education to our students. There's there's two components of them. One is proficiency. That's largely how students are doing mastering right. content. And then the other is growth, which is largely how we as a school and indeed as an individual teacher are accelerating the growth of an individual student relative to their academic peers. So you mentioned, you know, the the, the results, recent results, um, you know, we've moved from 42 to 50 failing schools. Roughly 45% of our schools are, are scoring D's and F's, 45%, right? Uh, you, you mentioned the A's. That includes the the college programs. So, wow. you know, five five of those A's are are actually our middle school programs that are co-located with with colleges. So you would expect them to be knocking right. the ball out of the park. But, you know, from if I look at our performance over the last three years, from from the eighteen nineteen school year to the twenty one twenty two school year, eighty three schools have dropped in terms of their performance, um, their, their school performance grade. Five of those have dropped two places. Good grief. Seven of our schools actually rose and fair play to them. And in fact, one of Mallinbrook rose two grades, but that's one school which achieved phenomenal results rising two grades from, from an F school to a C school, whereas five of our schools dropped two places, right? Two grades. Yeah. Um, you know, I keep going back to what our board of directors is focused on. Again, we've got four incumbents running and they should run on their record. Right. Right. Um, we've got one which those the average, the aggregate school performance grades across her district fell 31 percent over the last three years. Sixty five percent of the schools in that district are D's or F's. And, and she's known for saying, hey, you kids will do fine. Your kids will do fine. No, clearly they won't. Doesn't even feature in her top three priorities. Mark, this is a question of leadership. It's a question of culture, setting high expectations, driving transparency and accountability of yeah. everyone that's involved. That is the only way that a high performing organization achieves that status. And that's something that we have to drive. And I'm thankful that our new CEO um, is, is preaching this. It's a crying shame that too many of our, um, of our uh, board of directors have failed to do so. Your kids will do fine. Um, 
Yeah, prove it. This again, this is I think this is an emotional topic again for parents because this is it's it's just unacceptable what's going on. And for some reason, when they say your kids will do fine, it's almost a condescension to the parents. Um, What's up? Without question. Yep. It's, it's, you know, you've touched on this throughout this conversation and I'm just going to say it outright. I mean, you and I have both cut our teeth in the corporate world, Um, private industry. I mean, if a product or service is not competitive or individual is not performing, another is going to fill that need. And, you know, and I've also both served on a number of nonprofit boards. Now, I understand there is a question whether CMS is a business. You touched on this a while ago as well. As a $2.2 billion enterprise, I often wonder how this is even a discussion. Can you share your thoughts on that comparison? Yeah, Mark, it, it, you know, it's it's where I come from. It's where you come from. It's it, it's what we've done, um, but both for-profit and not-for-profit. You know, CMS this year will have over a $2.2 billion operating budget. You know, we, we invest between 250 and $300 million annually in capital projects. That, that, that's, that's not just a business. It's a very substantial business with a clear yeah. mission, vision, yeah. values, goals. You know, how is it not a business, a very large enterprise? You know, I, I'm certainly not arguing for comparing it to a to a for-profit business, but but as I think about the not-for-profit boards that I serve on and and the 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 mission and the services that we're providing through those, you know, if we're failing to deliver on our mission, our funding dries up. Right. Shockingly, that's not the way it works in government. Because when we fail to deliver on our mission, as we've spent much of the last 20 odd minutes talking about, then the budgets continue to go up, the funding continues to go up. And and we certainly welcome that additional investment, but return on investment is real. And, And you have to go and look and say, are we delivering the services that our community needs and deserves as efficiently and effectively as possible? And the answer very clearly is not. We've got tremendous opportunities, but once again, it comes back to a culture of a high-performing organization. And when I have debates and discussions with my colleagues about whether we you know, are a business or not, and, and the extent to which we need to embrace business principles, it's clear to me that all they're trying to do is avoid accountability. Yes. And, and, and that's it, right? No, we're not a business. Why? Because businesses are accountable. They're accountable, whether they're shareholders, whether they're, you know, funders, et cetera. And and, and so um, we need to feel accountable. Our teachers need to feel accountable. Our mechanics need to feel accountable. We also need this individual vision that, that links up and delivers on our corporate vision and commitment to the youth of our community to educate and prepare them for, for tomorrow. You know, you are truly a voice crying in the wilderness. Those, the wilderness being so many of the board members that don't believe in this accountability. Um, You know, this has been a fantastic, I will say at moments, disturbing conversation, but I I, I can't thank you enough for being on your district, South and Southwest 
uh, Mecklenburg County uh, completely overlaps uh, my Senate district. I, I would say just based on this conversation alone, I don't care if you, you're voting for U.S. Senate, state Senate. Folks, you've got to go out and you've got to, whether we're going to replace the school board, we're going to put people like Sean Strain and people that think like him on, on November 8th, you've got to go vote. This is so important. This is your children. This is the future of our country if you don't have children or your grandchildren. Uh, and Sean, I cannot thank you enough, folks. Vote for Sean Strain. Um, but I can't thank you enough for being on today and, and sharing your time with us, Sean. Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, can't can't say it enough. It's it's important to look at those local issues. Um, you know, there's there's six districts on uh, on a U.S. Senate ballot this year. Uh, the, the new district I was drawn into um, was very intentionally drawn so as to influence the results of the election. You know, at the end of the day, uh, th this is about the future of our kids and our community. And, uh, you know, I, I hope and pray that um, an informed electorate will show up and demand more of the, the Board of Education, uh, the Board of Directors for our public education system uh, so that we can really turn this ship around uh, and, and deliver for our, our kids and our community. Amen to that. And all politics, folks, is local. Until next time, have a great day and always be on the lookout for the elephant in the room.